Some viewers may find the following video disturbing. Viewer discretion is advised. It's 4 o'clock in Los Angeles. It's 6 o'clock in Chicago. And it's 7 p.m. in New York City. Hello, everybody. I'm Mad Dog Scipio. Joining me for a very special evening of mob talk is Michael Armageddon Murphy. Michael, how are you, my friend? I'm good. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody out there doing tonight? Better now that Lou joined us. <laughs> Our special guest tonight is former John Gotti friend and associate, former Gambino crime family associate as well. His name is Louis Ferranti. Bad guy turned good guy. Um, now he's making money legit, giving speeches and courses to business. We're going to talk about that and at some length uh, this evening. Lou, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Good, very good. Thanks for having me, Angelo, Mad Dog, and Michael. Nice it's, to see you. Uh, but great pleasure to have you here. Um, you and I have some friends in common. I don't know oh, if you yeah. know that or not. Um, Figured guys, we might. I throw yeah. some names at you, like uh, Larry Mazza. I know and, all of them. And and Larry and Larry and uh, Meyer Lansky Jr. Uh, or as he's called, Meyer Lansky the third. The third, I uh, guess. Right. He's got to be a grandson, I assume. Yeah, from the Mob Museum in Vegas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've had him on the show. John A. Light, you know, Johnny A. Yeah. Yep. Johnny's been here. Uh, Nick Christopher, John Nick. Costello. Mm. Mm -mm. Mob, Can Mob Candy Magazine. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. That's Nick. He was the, he was the guy there. Mm -hmm. So, listen, we got you here. Um, I've been wanting to have you on for a little bit, so it took some doing to reach out to you. That's great. First of all, I had to find out if you had a Facebook, and when I found out you had a Facebook, I went digging. Um, we've done a number of mafia and mob-oriented shows on this network. Um, they always garner a lot of attention, largely because, and this is, I'm going to hit you with this one first, largely because there seems to be this little question mark in everyone's head. Are they really legit? Mm. Have they really gone legit or is the life still inside? Mm -hmm. so let's hit that one first. For me personally, I've been out of jail for a long time. I went away when I was 25. I came home when I was 33. Uh, so it's been a long time since I came home. So I've proved it um, my whole life. I live legit now every bit of it. Uh, what I did was I gave myself the education I needed when I was in prison, while I was locked in a penitentiary with nothing to do but read. I gave myself the education that I knew I would one day need if I ever got out 
And I yeah. was prepared when I did get out to then form a new life and, and, and carve my way in a different, uh, carve a different path th uh, through, through life's jungle. Because yeah. it's all a jungle, no matter what you do, no matter where you are. Life is tough for everybody. Sure. You prepare yourself. You got a better shot. So I did that. I guess the the difference between the jungle and the forest, Lewis, is uh, uh, how big and how ferocious the animals are. That's exactly uh, right. I, and and I see in, on this side, the the there's more cobras as opposed to lions. Sneaky people who get you. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, look, the world is rough. It's a Darwinian world, no matter how yeah. you look at it. Oh, yeah. for sure. Uh, Lou, my friend, Mr. Murphy here, we and I, uh, he and I had a conversation um, a couple of days ago about uh, some people you might know. Mm -hmm. uh, Michael Franchese, maybe you, you know that name? Yeah, I know him. Uh, I know of him. Uh, I knew his brother, John, uh, when I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, I never met Michael. I know people who know Michael very well. I was very close friends uh, and still am today, 35 years later with the arenas. Uh, yeah. Vicarina Sr., who's in jail now for the rest yeah. of his life, and Vicarina Jr., uh, who I see every week. Um, I go to lunch with him. I'm still dear friends with him 35 years later. Right. Uh, they were part of the Colombo family as well. Yeah. Um, Vic's, uh, Vic Jr. beat a murder racketeering case. And then uh, and decided to pack it in. He copped to another murder, did 10 years. And uh, when we were together in jail, he told me he was going straight. I told him I was. We we uh, we vowed that we see each other on the other side if we ever made it through that hell. And we did. Yeah. And we've been very close friends ever since. Uh, he's an extremely intelligent man. Mm -hmm. Once again, he had the tools to go straight. Um, yeah. He did not have to go back to that life. Uh, so he was able to go straight. But he did it with honor. Big yeah. Uh, uh, Vic Sr. stood up that life in prison. He'll die in jail probably unless merciful judge allows him out, which hopefully will be the case. Um, he's got some medical issues. He's got more medical issues than many people who do get compassionate releases. So yeah. hopefully he'll get some relief in the courts. Uh, and Vic Jr., uh, he also left that life with honor. He, he never yeah. rapped. Uh, as I said, he beat a major case, ma major racketeering case, and he, he left the right way. Um, so, I, you know, I have I have yeah. a lot of respect for Vic Jr. Uh, because of that, because he left. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Kudos. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Kudos. Uh, Lou, how is a guy like Sammy Gravano still alive? Uh, I ask that uh, question to myself all the time. I, you know, I mean, if if the mob was it was real, I mean, I mean, what the hell are they doing? Right. I mean, you know, I mean, how do you let this guy go that long? And I don't want to say the wrong thing because obviously, you know, I don't want to get myself in any type of legal trouble and anybody accuse me of, you know, trying to prompt somebody to do something to him. I have nothing to do with that life. Uh, but I do uh, looking looking mm -hmm. at it from afar, where yeah. my position as I am today, you know, I often wonder if I was involved in that life, if I was active in that life, I mean, I would get the urge to go look for this guy. Um, yeah. you, you know, just for principle, just for general principle. Well, yeah. Uh, See, now you're now you're you're exactly on my wavelength. My understanding and and Mike Murphy, I want you to jump in this too. My understanding, Lou, mm -hmm. is that the old expression and, and I've heard this my whole life growing up. Uh, and I'll tell you after the show, because I want you to stick around for a little bit. Um, I've heard this my whole life. 
it's not personal. It's only business. I've heard this my whole life. Mm -hmm. It's not personal. It's only business. Okay. If that's the case, if that's truly the case, what more business? Mm -hmm. What you, you get where I'm What more business? Yeah. This as, guy flipped mm -hmm. on the boss. Mm -hmm. as, a, as a mafia historian, and that's what I am now. I wrote a trilogy about the, the American mafia mm -hmm. called Borgata, the Borgata trilogy. The first volume is out now. And when I started to dig deep and I got into the whole drama about Joe Valachi, who was the first really, there were snitches before him, but he was the yeah. first real public snitch who went in front of Congress, uh, testified in front of Congress, congressional hearings. And the reason why they wanted to kill Joe Valachi so bad at that time wasn't because he was hurting anybody. He was very low level. Um, he didn't put anybody away with his testimony. Uh, he was a soldier. He was a legit guy. He was around Vito Genovese. It mm -hmm. was, that was legit. I'm not, I'm not discounting his position, but I will say that he didn't put anybody away with his testimony. It was congressional testimony. It was more for public consumption as, yeah. opposed, for, as opposed to prosecutorial, uh, um, uh, prosecutorial evidence against people. But the mob knew at that time that we have to kill him or he'll set an example for a lot of others to come. And yeah. they desperately tried and they desperately tried to scheme and figure out how to get to him and they couldn't. He was well, well protected. And that was the reason. So that's what I felt when I was around when Sammy went bad. Uh, I was one of the first ones, if not the first one to hear it. I was in uh, Pete Gotti's house with Pete's son, Peter, John's brother, Peter. Right. Uh, John's brother, Peter, his house. And I was with Pete's son. So when gotcha. Big Pete came home and when Big Pete came home, he said he just left the lawyer's office and Sammy went bad and he looked like shit. And I, I'll never forget it. So at that point, first of all, in my mobbed up mind at that moment, I did not believe it. I said, ah, it's not true. That's he's going to sacrifice himself for John. I told my friend Peter, I said, right. he'll never he'll never go sour. There's no way I could not come to terms with the the, the thought that the underboss of our family might become a snitch. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I felt if I was around a table with five or six guys, I believed that they all believed as I did, which yeah. is we got to go. We got to go. We got to go to jail. We got to go. That's it. it. You know, we understand sure. the stakes involved. Nobody's under any impression that, you know, we, we didn't, we signed up for uh, the minor leagues and we somehow accidentally got drafted, drafted into the major leagues. We know where yeah. we are. We know what we're facing. We know what we do every day. Exactly. And, yeah, so it to me it was too much too much to handle to take yeah. in at that moment. It took me time before I realized it was true. Now at that point what I feel like is the mob, all five families should have gotten together and said this guy's going to set a horrible example that's going to come back and bite us all in the ass. And they didn't do that. Yeah. And he went on and he, you know, no one really looked from as far as I was as far as I understood, supposedly yeah. a couple of lame attempts to find them. I don't know. I, the people I knew who were serious, if they looked for them, they would have found them. So I'm not sure what was happening. Yeah. Um, so I felt like then he did set an example because shortly thereafter, you had little Al Diarco go sour. He goes in and says, I want to deal like Sammy the Bull. Then you had a uh, gas pipe goes sour. He goes in, he says, I want to deal like Sammy the Bull. And yeah. one after another went in there saying, well, I had less murders. Why shouldn't yeah. I get a better deal? He got 19 murders, five years. I only have six murders and so on and so forth. Carmine Sessa, 
who I, who, you know, again, I was very close with Michael Sessa, Carmine's brother. Michael is a man's man. He's a gem. He's an honorable man. When Carmine went bad, Michael told me that Carmine sent word to him. When Carmine went bad, he sent word to Michael and he says, look, I'll get you a deal. You could be part of this. Come, come with me, Michael. We'll do this together. You know, you could ride on my deal. You don't have to worry about anything. And Michael said, I'd rather die in prison. And that's his younger brother who he brought into the life. Yeah. Who he, who he basically corrupted, dragged yeah. him into life, corrupted him, made him a soldier, made him a captain, and then ratted. So Michael, Michael and Carmine are the absolute perfect examples of two brothers who were raised in the same house. And Michael, to this day, 30-something years later, is still in prison. And he should be out, by the way. That's a completely different story. I've become, right. I've become an expert at the law. I reversed one of my cases uh, pro se with the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. And after right. that, I was able to help a lot of other inmates get relief mm-hmm. in the courts because I studied law. And that's it. That's after hiring and firing seven attorneys. I had I had the famed civil rights attorney, William Kunzler. He was my first attorney. Oh, sure. I had Barry Slotnick for a few minutes. Uh, I interviewed Bruce Cutler, although I didn't retain him. He came up on a visit. He was sent up to see me. Right. Uh, but I ended up going to a lot of attorneys. And in the end, I represented myself. And after I got myself out, I was able to help other people. Um, so, but, but uh, you know, getting back to the, uh, uh, to, to the whole thing, Michael, I don't want to get too far into Michael's case. He deserves to be home. Mm-hmm. There, was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of prosecutorial misconduct in Michael Sess's case yes. that should not have stood up in the appellate division. Uh, and it did, unfortunately. But getting back, as, as we said, there's a perfect example of two brothers, Michael and Carmine Sessa. When yeah. Carmine goes bad, Michael refuses to. Michael holds up to Omerta to the very end. He's still there. And Carmine yeah. goes sour. And he goes in with his 12 murders. I think Carmine had about 12 murders, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah. he goes in and he says, look, I want a better deal than Sammy. Sammy had 19. I only have 12. So mm-hmm. this had a horrible precedent. And that's why I say the mob should have went full force and did something about that. And I'm saying this from a civilian. I don't want yeah. anybody to mis- get misled by my... Uh, you know, I would never do that now. I would never commit uh, premeditated murder. I would mm-hmm. never commit any type of organized crimes. I would never commit racketeering. And I'm not prompting or telling anybody else to do that. I'm going back 30 years and I'm saying back then when yeah. this originally happened, something sh- I felt, I felt then something should have been done. And it wasn't. And he yeah. laid the groundwork for everyone else to follow. And the mob, as we look at it today, is in, is just is it's destroyed. It's it's such it's a degenerative state that yeah. it's beyond. It's a, a form a shell of its former self mm-hmm. from an organizational standpoint, mm-hmm. and it's bad enough that you can't trust people from other families. But when you can't trust people in your own family, then mm-hmm. you've got a serious serious problem. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a problem that goes beyond loyalty. A problem mm-hmm. that goes beyond Cosa Nostra. Mm-hmm. It's a problem that that that's at the heart of what makes a family a family. It's mm-hmm. the bond, the unity, the brotherhood. They're willing to die for one. Mm-hmm. That's right, Angela. That's out the window, my friend. Mike Murphy, questions for Louis Ferranti. Louis, how are you tonight? Very good. Thank you, Michael. And yourself? Uh, old, fat, and gray. 
<laughs> I'm get I'm getting there. It's a pleasant state of affairs. <laughs> God bless us all. Yeah, yeah. be jolly and merry. Anyway, we both come from uh organizations, you might say. Uh yours was done, you know, in suits and ties. Mine was more denim and black leather and Harleys. <laughs> oh, what, uh, what, what, uh, uh, what club uh, were you with? I'm not at liberty to say. Okay. Um, but oh, I was a, uh, I was what you would call, uh, I was the club enforcer. Was mm-hmm. the sergeant at arms right hand man? Very uh, similar was worlds. A and, uh, yes. Mike, what'd you think? I, what'd you think of Sons of Anarchy? Uh, I, I thought it started out well, and then it got to the point to like, oh, well, let's tune in and see who they're killing tonight. Cause somebody was right. always dying in that show. I, I, I thought yeah. it started out well, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of made a left turn. Did they get a lot of the but, details right? Uh, with some of the details, you know, becoming, uh, well, you know, get, getting into a motorcycle club is like getting into the mob. I mean, first, you got to be a hang around. You got to know somebody. That person's got to speak up for you. Uh, with us, you got to be a hang around. You, you know, you got to know somebody. Then that person says, you know, hey, you know, I want to bring this guy up as a prospect, a prospective member. Uh, where you guys be like, oh, hey, no, he's a friend of mine or a friend of ours. Uh, two different languages, same thing in a way. And then mm-hmm. as time goes on, you prove yourself to the club by, you know, doing what needs to be done, doing, the, you know, taking taking bullshit from other people, you know, other club members. But you're showing, you're proving your loyalty. And this is something I want to touch on what Angelo had brought up. You're, you're showing your loyalty, then you get patched in. You get voted on, you get patched in, which means you uh, they take the prospect patch off you, and they patch in, you become a full member. What I found was doing that, I, I, I prospected for about a year. I got patched in, except for three guys that I was very close to in the club. You had to have eyes in the back of your head. You mm-hmm. couldn't trust anyone. Mm-hmm. I don't care if they say, oh, I'm your brother. I'll be there for you. And this that, and the other thing. No, it, it, mm-hmm. it's nice to say it's nice to hear. Mm-hmm. But in reality, you got to watch. You had to watch whoever, you know, loyalty kind of went right mm-hmm. out the window. If you know what I mean? I do. Um, yeah. As far as, uh Biker shows and biker movies. Uh, Hollywood takes a lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Liberties. They take liberties. (laughs) A lot of liberties. They take a lot of liberties. Because I I saw some guys on Sons of Anarchy, and I'd be like, yeah, no no way that guy would have made it into a club. Mm. No way. Mm. And and not only that, but the guy who played Clay Morrow, um, I can't think of his name, but it's like there is no way that guy is the president of a mother chapter 
of a club. Mm. It, there's, you just look at him like, no, no way. He, he wouldn't have made it. it they, they'd have found him somewhere in the Pine Barrens. <laughs> you know? <Right>. And, <laughs> but, you yeah, know, so we, we, you and I, we, you know, I'm sorry, you and I, we come from similar, similar situations like you. I decided, you know what? I'm, I'm done with this because I knew I was going to end up in one of two places. I was either going to end up in jail or I was going to end up dead. Mm. And I just said, you know what? I got a wife at the time. At the time I had a wife. I got a beautiful son. I'm not going to put them going and, and, and you know, going to going to my funeral. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a lot of guys, you're in a club and you die. Okay. Some guys get a patch and put it on their cut in memory of, and then they forget about you within like a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I hear you. And the, uh, you know, I mean, the backstabbing, is across the board. It's every. It's in every organization. So I hear you on that front. Um, that was that went a long way in persuading me to get the hell away from the life. I just felt like any time I was ever mm-hmm. going to get arrested, I was going to do the time. And everybody, yeah. I felt like there were a lot too many rats. I could never. They'll keep sending me back to jail. And the other thing is, a lot of the rats, a lot of the times, are the ones who put the bullet in the back of your head. And they don't want to pay the price yeah. for it later. So they almost have a license to kill like 007. And I, I you know, I got to get killed mm-hmm. by some guy who's going to cry in his pillow when he gets arrested and then go rat and tell the prosecutor everything he knows. That's not the guy I want putting the bullet in the back of my head. So, you know, it was a lot of that. I see what you're saying. Um, by the way, I was away with a really, really, I got close with a couple of bikers. That's why I asked you what club you were in when I was away. Uh, one biker had uh, his arm up to the forearm was blown off. And I said, uh, one day I asked him, so what happened? And he said that, uh, he was warring with another biker club and they mailed him a bomb and he opened it. It blew his arm clean off, but he said, worse than that, he says, my son was in the room and he goes, by the grace of God, my son's alive. But, um, but you know, there's a perfect example of, yeah, I mean, you know, that's like, not something you, you know, that's not honor killing somebody with a bomb where his children could be in the room when he opens it. Um, you know, you want to kill a guy, you know, I grew up believing that violence was part of life. I understood it. Um, from when I was a kid, I never shied away from violence. Sure. When I was in the life, I didn't shy away from it. I knew it was part of life. Uh, but you know, you don't want to do things that might kill somebody's family that might kill somebody's children. Uh, and I thought that that was beneath my dignity as well. And that happens a lot in the mob. Now, um, Mm -hmm. I had a friend, I can't mention his name. He was given orders by gas pipe. Uh, to shoot the sister of a rat and he had no choice but to follow the orders so he shot at the sister and then when he was in prison with me later on uh gas sent word from another prison telling him uh i don't want you to take a a plea to that because we're not supposed to shoot women and i don't want that out this was before gas went sour and then he didn't Mm -hmm. so he took a plea he didn't have that covered in his plea and uh took a plea for a lot of time and then after gas went sour gas ended up giving up the crime anyway. And then the guy was hit with new charges. So, you know, it's just like double crossed every which way you could think of double crossed, triple crossed, quadruple crossed. You know, when does it end? At some point you're pulling out your hair and you're going, this isn't for me. This is not how I live. And uh, I would imagine you were the same way. It was probably beneath you. You seem like, you know, the, the fact that you left and you saw everything wrong tells me that you thought like I did 
to what extent I, I assume very close. Um, you know, if that, yeah. if that bothered you and you felt it was beneath you and it prompts you to leave, then there's something inside you that dwells inside you. That's very much like what I have inside me. It yeah. just wasn't what I signed up for. Well, that's a great segue. That's actually a great segue. One of the people I had on the show, um, in the recent past, Lou, was uh, Larry Mazip. And Larry was here talking about his, the guy he worked for in the. Um, Gregory in, in Scarpa. The, yeah, Greg Scarpa, the Grim Reaper. Mm-hmm. Here's a guy, in my opinion, again, I'm just offering in my opinion here, a guy that I think was incapable of having the mindset that you and Mr. Murphy have. Mm-hmm. I think he was incapable of that empathy, that um, that little piece of the brain and the heart that are connected. Mm-hmm. How does a guy like that become who he is? A lot of people, and I know a lot of people who are around him. I did not know Scarpa myself, mm-hmm. uh, but I knew a lot of people who were around him from the Wimpy Boys Club. Uh, right. And a lot of the guys who were around him, there were a lot of signs over the years that something was fishy. Yeah. And a lot of signs were overlooked. And I mean, you know, Carmine Persico had that. I could talk about Carmine now. He's dead. Yeah. Carmine Persico had that Borgata for many, many years. That was his crew. Mm-hmm. And Carmine Persico, as I understand it, overlooked a lot. And, you know, I mean, this is this is a problem. Yeah. Uh, this was a major problem. When you have signs, when you know something's wrong, uh, Joe Brewster, one of the guys Greg killed, was his best friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. They said Joe Brewster. They the story as the story goes, he turned to God and yeah. he was becoming a born again Christian. So Greg got scared and clipped him. Yeah. As the what I understand from people I've spoken to, uh, and who were in the know, uh, basically Joe Brewster was on to him. And he yeah. knew that he would he was willing to kill his best friend before he was outed, uh, and oh, that's absolutely. time and again. Yeah, and I think I, I think even Larry Mazza again. I didn't know Larry. I know well, people. Yeah, Larry, Larry did snitch on friends of mine. So I try to. I don't. I don't. I don't want to weigh in on Larry. I don't know. Well, him. I, I I'll tell you what. I want to interject there for a minute because it was Larry mm-hmm. that related to us here on the show the story mm-hmm. of of the Reaper of uh, Greg Scarper. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Larry did try to help too later on, people. But go right. ahead. Mm-hmm. True, mm-hmm. but Larry will be the first to tell you, I think, and, and even on the show to the point where, you know, he did, uh, you know, he did, in in full disclosure, um, tell every tell the world his shortcomings. He right. was a snitch. Mm-hmm. He was a rat. Mm-hmm. He's lucky to be alive. He was. He's grateful mm-hmm. that you know that that life gave him a second chance. Mm-hmm. He and I'll be very honest with you. Mm-hmm. He was one of those guys that I mentioned in the beginning of the show mm-hmm. that I thought maybe was playing both ends against the middle. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just mm-hmm. me. I can't prove mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But when you have a guy like that, like a guy like Larry, come on and tell you because he worked very closely with Greg mm-hmm. Scarpa, mm-hmm. the Reaper. Mm-hmm. Um, that when you when you have a guy like Scarpa that is a stone-cold sociopath, but playing, again, rumors of him playing both ends against the middle, he's an informant, 
He's a boss. He's mm-hmm. a he's a hired killer. He's ratting out his own crew. Mm-hmm. Where? How do you reconcile all of that craziness together? It was From, crazy. Mm-hmm. Could, 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 that's the life that you lived, mm-hmm. and it sounds crazy for me, a civilian, telling my listeners out there, which are thankfully many, that this is the world these guys come from. No wonder it's so fucked up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it is. Yeah. And so Larry, have- Mazza, Larry Mazza, as I understand it, Larry Mazza was was uh, helpful after he got arrested in uncovering a lot of what Scarpa did. Absolutely. Yeah, because he was so close to him. And that did end up helping a lot of people in the end. And also, too, I think he regretted snitching. At some point, he did try to help. He tried to go back in time and help guys he had put away by correcting lies that were told in the courtrooms and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he's a unique case, this Larry Mazza, where he broke weak. um, And then he came back around and tried to correct things afterwards. But also, too... Larry Mazza was, in a sense, innocent, and that's why he's a, he's a tough case, and I'll say why. Yeah. I came up stealing cars, then hijacking trucks, getting involved in every type of crime you could think of. My entire life was a crime in progress. Larry Mazza was delivering groceries to Gregory Scarpa's house one day when Scarpa said, come inside, fool around with my wife. She wants a young boyfriend. She thinks you're cute, and then he starts grooming him. So, yeah. you know, this is a kid that's taken away from grocery bags, you yeah. know, and, and he goes from a, from oh, he a told us, gun, yeah, he goes from a price gun to a 38, ca- you know, or 45 <laughs> overnight. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. So he told us that story, Lou, he told exactly. us that story. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, this is a unique case where, you know, when he, he's, he's brought on, Scarpa brings him onto the set of, of the Godfather. Yeah, And, you know, he's walking around with Scarpa. He could probably hear the music in the back of his head. Next thing you know, he's arrested, and they they threw him onto the set of Shawshank Redemption. And they told him, you're going away the rest of your life. You know, get get your pick and start going against the cement. Maybe you'll escape one day. You know, this is a regular guy. This isn't a guy, really, who was, you know, he's sort of dragged into it. So he's a unique case. That's why I kind of like reserve my decision on this guy. Look, I still wouldn't take the stand. Yeah. You know, no matter what. And I, I really have no respect for anybody does because they put away a lot of my friends that are never going to see their families again. So it's hard. Sure. But what well, I, what I do, you, guy, but and, yeah, and, and yeah. here's the problem, though, in, in some cases, Lou, mm-hmm. these some of these guys are really, really smart. And in some cases, maybe a little too smart. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I come from a back. My background is professional sports, boxing and wrestling. Mm-hmm. And we have a term in wrestling called smartening somebody up. It's very much mm-hmm. like what they do in, in the mob, grooming someone, teaching mm-hmm. them the terminology, mm-hmm. um, making their bones, if, if you will. You know, um, how to make your bones, um, how to get away with making your bones. Mm-hmm. And those of you who don't understand what that means. It means, you know, putting a button on somebody and and scoring Mm -hmm. niches in your scorecard. Mm -hmm. Um, People like, for example, John A. Light that's been on the show. John's another one that I shake my head and go, how the hell is he still walking? Mm -hmm. A guy like that, I don't understand that. Yeah, things have changed now. I I think the point it's come to now. So if we go back to when I was saying how... When Sammy the Bull first went bad, 
Yeah. He was the first one, aside from the, you know, a scarper who was bad for 30 years yeah. and nobody knew it. That's, that's a secret informant. That's covert, top-notch, top echelon, mm-hmm. FBI informant. Uh, they don't even, he doesn't even have a name in the FBI. He just has a number. So he's yeah. top secret. <laughs> and, and there were signs, as I said, but let's just put him on the side for a second because he sure. was a covert snitch. When Sammy goes bad and he's an overt snitch and he's taking a stand in 30 or something trials, you know, guy is after Bobby Cabert, he put away who I knew. Ozzie Stantini, he put away who I knew. Joe Watts, Joe Watts was a, Joe Watts was like a father to me at one time. He was so good. Joe Watts sent Charlie Carnese, the attorney up to see me once. I says, Charlie, what do I owe you? He goes, it's taken care of. I go, what do you mean it's taken care of? He goes, Joe took care of it for you. I go, you kidding me? Nobody does that for you in the mob. And Joe didn't know me nothing. I couldn't yeah. give anything up on Joe. It wasn't like he was, you know, he was trying to buy my attorney so I wouldn't snitch on him. I had nothing on Joe. Joe was just right. doing it out of the goodness of his heart. Sammy put him away. So all of these guys that Sammy put away, I feel like that should have been stopped early. As I said, that's how I yeah. felt then. I'm not promoting anybody that should get killed today. I'm not saying that. I want to be make sure my words are clear. Oh, I'm absolutely. Not, yeah, any for any listeners out there, says, oh, he's trying to get somebody clipped. No, I'm not. I'm saying back then, the way I felt then is something should have been done. Now, it wasn't. Now, I think there's so many that came after him that the you know the the, mm-hmm. the you know the 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 uh, the chain across the uh, the 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 chain across the Bosporus broke. You know that everybody the, the barbarians have flooded in. You know it's over. You know it's it's done. The whole thing is is what are they going to do? You're going to kill one. You're going to kill two. You're going to kill three. You got to kill a hundred of them. You got to kill two hundred of them. Yeah, sure. There might be a thousand of them now across the country. You know they'd be they you, the mob would never sleep. They have to kill so many snitches. So. Once again, you know, I think it's gotten to the point where they could all walk around now. Nobody even cares. Nobody wants yeah. to also, too. Nobody even wants. To, let's say you did kill a guy who's walking around the street now. Mm-hmm. How long do you think before another snitch who knows you did it rats on you? And then two weeks later, you're in jail for killing that snitch. The yeah. last one. Then you got to kill the next one. It's never It's ending. an endless, uh, Lou, it's an endless cycle. It just exactly. doesn't stop. Exactly. So I think it's beyond now. It's beyond correction. Now it's over. Yeah. We had problems in Philadelphia for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the days of uh, Nicky Scarfo, Angelo Bruno, John Stanford. These are names that, you know, um, the power struggle is very real to these people. Mm-hmm. Very real to these people. What is to gain? By being the boss, other than a giant target on your back, I'm not sure. Um, I was away. I was in Lewisburg with Chicky. I don't know if you if you you know Chicky from Philly. Chicky Narducci. No, no, no. Chicky uh, Ch- Chingalini or something was his. Oh, last Joe Chingalini. Yes, Joey Chingalini. Okay. Chicky, Chicky was a great guy. I'm in I'm in Lewisburg with him, and I went on a visit one day, and he had his kid come up. As he was in a wheelchair, paraplegic or whatever he was. Right. I'm very sad. And then I learned that his other son died. Somebody told me. He says, oh, that's yeah. the living son. The other one got clipped. I said, you're kidding me. So one day I was bullshitting that's with Chicky true. in the yard. Yeah. So I was bullshitting with Chicky in the yard one day. And I had made the decision that I'm done if I ever get out of here. And I was I freely told everybody. I approached everybody and told them I'm out of here. One night, I got to serve life. I'll, I'll die in a pine box in the end. You could die any day while you're in. By the way, I did face life at one point. But you mm-hmm. could die any day while you're in jail. You could be doing a five-year bid and yeah. somebody sticks you, you know, with a rusty knife and you die of an infection two weeks later. So sure. any, any day you could die in jail. And I've sure. seen somebody's people. having a bad day. They take it out on you. 
Angelo, my very first day in Lewisburg Penitentiary, the Aryan Brotherhood hacked to death two black Muslims with machetes, homemade prison machetes that yeah. were made in the metal shop where they make lockers. So yeah. I've seen death close up in the pen. It happens. It could happen any day. So mm -hmm. I said to Chicky, I says, look, if I ever get out of here, I'm done. I says, you got to feel the same way. And I was sort of like, you know, I'm talking to him because and now I don't know what his feelings are now. I'm going back many, many years. I right. hope he left a life. I hope there's nobody left that even bothers with him or knows him now. And he's going to just enjoy his retirement as a grandfather. That's what I hope. Whatever the case was, though, at that time, many mm -hmm. years ago, you know, I felt like one son dead and one coming up in a wheelchair. The writing's on the wall for you. Get the hell out. And, yeah. and he wasn't. He wasn't having that conversation with me. So at that point, I'm not sure what wavelength he was on. But then again, too, he's an old school guy. Maybe he didn't want to express himself if he did feel that way. I yeah. met guys who don't want to. I met one guy. I can't say his name. He's active still. But I was telling I'm going straight. I'm done with this shit. I'm not going to keep going in and out like a revolving yeah. door with these rats. And he said to me, well, you know, this is the life. You know, this is the way we chose it. And then on the side, mm -hmm. he gave me a wink. And he says, I feel the same way. He wasn't yeah. going to say it at the card table with six or eight of us around. Right. You know, that's like, you know, this is old school thinking. They're not going to, yeah. you know, they don't, they don't advertise their thoughts. And then maybe what they have on the street might be taken from them. Maybe sure. then they got to show themselves. They got to show their claws or their talons in a different way. So that's maybe old school smarts. Me, I didn't care. I says, look, do what you got to do. You think you're going to come for me? Go for it. But I'm done. You know, I mean, yeah. so I, I didn't care. But, you, you know, if a guy's more entrenched, he's more of a, a high position, it might feel differently. Oh, sure. Lou, Michael, we are up against a commercial break. We will be back in two minutes. If you need to do something to feel okay to drive, you're not okay to drive. Don't drive buzzed. Are you ready to help your family get prepared for the unexpected? Here we go! Ladybug and Cat Noir know how important it is to be ready. Because you never know when Hawk Moth is going to strike or a disaster will hit. And you don't need miraculous powers. Just put those planning skills you already have to good use. Make a plan that will help you and your family be ready when emergencies happen. Ready Kids can help. Get started at ready.gov slash kids.
back with What's the Buzz America's Best Podcast. I'm Mad Dog Scipio. Tonight, on the record and inside the mob with Luis Ferranti, join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash What's the Buzz Radio. I'll get it out. <laughs> join us also on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash at What's the Buzz. Just $2.99 a month. You can't buy a loaf of bread for that cheap, folks. Again, I'm Mad Dog Scipio, and tonight, Inside the real life mob, what's it like to be an enforcer, a button man, uh, a soldier? Louis Ferranti has probably done all of that and then some. Lou, let's talk a little bit about, and I know Mike and, and you and I talked about this off, off the camera earlier on, but what's the difference? But what, what, first of all, let me back up for just a second. Why? Why do we love the bad guy? Why does America particularly love the anti-hero? And uh, and and what is this love affair we have with the mafia movies? The difference between the real life mob and the mob in the movies. I'm sure they're very different. I'm sure they're portrayed very differently. But we have this notion, this romanticized notion, if you will. That that uh, the Robin Hood complex, the bad guy, the, uh, the 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 mafia don, is in some capacity the good guy. John Gotti was a killer and ordered murder, but they loved him. They threw parades for this man. As uh, I get no better proof than than Mr. Gotti himself. When I'll tell you what my thoughts on that are when. When society is so corrupt, when state, local state, and federal governments are so corrupt, and you're so fed up with them, mm-hmm. the corruption in, 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 in all, all across our governments, whether it be local, state, uh, federal, is so much corruption. And we know it. And it's out there. And the news, and, and luckily there's two parties, so they each accuse each other of corruption, and we get the real scoop. You know, we have to sift through it a little, but we get the scoop about them. So we know they're corrupt because they accuse each other constantly of being corrupt. And then you have the little guy who says, well, I have to dump all my money. I have to pay all these taxes. What do I get in return? My money goes here. My money goes there. My money never really goes to what I want. I still got to pay for my kids to go to school. I, I, you know, I'm paying out of the ass for this. I'm paying out of the ass for that. I can't go shopping. My my refrigerator is empty. I can't buy a steak when I want a steak. I got to have a hamburger at best. You know, maybe one day I'll go for next month. Maybe I'll get a steak. But they keep taking my money and they keep sticking it to me up my ass. And they keep telling me that something's wrong with me. And then you have a guy like John Gotti who says F you to them. And he really, really just like, you know, he gives them the finger. Right. And then the people get behind that. It's almost like from the days of Jesse James. You know, I mean, this must have been going on for a long time. John Dillinger, Bonnie and Clyde. Why do Americans love them? Because Americans always feel like they're taking it in the ass. So when a little guy gets up and says, F you, F you, Mm -hmm. F you, your whole system. I don't care about it. It's kind of like appealing. You know, there is something sexy about it when a woman does. You know, there are women who've done it. Uh, So it's kind of like, you know, it appeals, I think, to Americans. We do live in a corrupt society. We know we do. So at least let the corruption come from one of our own. You know, we're tired of it being from somebody we don't know. 
you know, somebody who went to the yeah. best schools, who had the biggest money, who could who could put fifty million dollars into a local campaign, five hundred million into a big campaign. You know, like give me give me the hero who eats a tuna fish sandwich down the block where I eat. That's yeah, what I want to see absolutely. making it. You know, giving him the finger to the man. So I think that's part of it. I think that's a big part of it. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could go back to Oscar Wilde. And he said, Americans, I think he made, the, I think it was his quote, Oscar Wilde said, Americans love their criminals. You know, they, and that's, you're going back to the late 1800s with Oscar Wilde, right? Or the 1800s when yeah. Americans love their criminals, Americans. And we have, we always have. Oh, but sure. I mean, historically, we look back, you know, Al Capone was, was as ruthless as they come. Mm -hmm. But yet the man was a benefactor. He gave money away, mm -hmm. um, you know, in Philadelphia, again, recently around the, you know, in my neck mm -hmm. of the woods here. Mm -hmm. uh, Joey Merlino, mm -hmm. they call him Skinny Joey. He was the boss for a while. Mm -hmm. Would give, you know, turkeys away, have dinners for people, mm -hmm. but hundreds of people at a time. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. little did they know that they're eating, you know, ill-gotten goods. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people. I'm a, a proud Italian. Um, and I'm not one of those individuals who ascribe to the notion of the mafia or the mm -hmm. mafia, uh, whatever name you want to give it to it, Cosa Nostra. Um, I never understood why I saw people and and growing up, I saw people in my family kowtowing to these guys in these nice pinstripe suits. Mm -hmm. It bothered me. It always bothered me. And I, I grew up with the resentment mm -hmm. of my own people. Mm -hmm. I don't like a lot of Italian people. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like the whole notion of, you know, the extorting from your own people. Because mm -hmm. essentially that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, the mafia, as you read it historically, mm -hmm. started in Sicily to protect people. Mm -hmm. And you paid to have this black hand mm -hmm. stamped on your business. That means stay away. They're under my protection. Mm -hmm. Now, those who were sworn to protect mm -hmm. are the ones doing the damage. Your mm -hmm. thoughts on that, my friend? I have a lot of thoughts on that. And I went deep into that in my history. Borgata, volume one of my trilogy, which is out now. Uh, I go deep into the Italian-American experience, which has a lot to do with, uh, that's the blue cover. Actually, the red cover. I should hold it up. I got one here. I have it right here. Oh, great. Uh, so that's the, yeah, that's the U.S. cover, the red one. Um, I go deep into it. And I explain that the Italian-American experience is very unique because most of us who came here, our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, were, were from southern Italy, usually. Some northerners came, but a lot of from southern Italy. And they were mostly poor, and they came here seeking work. So you didn't get, like, you didn't get the da Vinci's and the Michelangelo's getting off the boats. You got people who were really, really just looking for work. And this country has never given us really any credit as Italian-Americans. And I think that's been a big deal. I was away. Yeah, I was away with a kid. You know, he said to me, Lou, every time I, he was in jail with me, his name was Lorenzo. He says, every time since I'm a kid, I turn on the TV, I see all these people doing great things. But every time I turn on the TV and I see Italians, they're mobsters. He goes, so what, what was I going to do? I thought all I could be is a mobster. 
He goes, I never thought I could be anything else. Yeah. So he says, you know, like this is sort of like the brainwashing of American. And in, in a sense, I, you know, look, a lot of these directors make great movies. I don't want to name them. We all know who they are. Sure. They make great mob movies. Absolutely. But but they really do contribute to this sort of like misguided Italian-American youth who only sees themselves as being good enough to be a mobster. And they really are, you know, so I went deep into it, the Italian-American experience, which sort of like parallels the mobs, the mob, the Italian-American mafia experience. Mm -hmm. They rode in on the same boats. They rode in on the same immigrant waves. It's just that 99.9% of the Italians only wanted to work hard. That's it, Angelo. Just give me an opportunity. Yeah. And they looked all around the country for opportunities. Please, just let me work. That's all I want to do. And they were considered well, the hardest workers in the country. That's, that, I, that, my friend, ties directly into my story. Mm -hmm. uh, 40 years, uh, 35 years ago, 40 years ago, excuse me, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'll be 65 this year. Mm -hmm. 40 years ago, I was uh, working a job at a very nice paying job, high profile job at a radio station in Philadelphia. I was unceremoniously let go one day because the station manager was told to put a particular gentleman's nephew mm -hmm. in that spot. Mm -hmm. I've never worked in radio again since that day. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Since that day. Mm -hmm. This is what I do now. I've been doing this for a very long time. The, mm -hmm. the podcast. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, other than working for very small radio stations mm -hmm. uh, and doing, you know, live, live shows. This is what I do now. This is my, but mm -hmm. luckily though, I own this station. Mm -hmm. And we're very fortunate to have almost 12 million subscribers mm -hmm. worldwide. Mm -hmm. There was no small. There was nobody doing me favors. I mm. did. You're you're the epitome of, of of the Italian American experience. Somebody who came up from nothing, didn't go to criminal side of town, and mm. uh, and was good, was was determined to make it. And in the face of you know sheer nepotism, obviously that's what you how you were displaced. Yeah. You picked up and went on again and picked up the pieces once again. And that's where mo that's where most of us, most of my ancestors stand my father's parents came here with nothing mm -hmm. you know i mean I, you know i wasn't from a mob family by the way you know my mother's side was a little crooked my my grandfather yeah. my grandfather had eight bronze stars in the asiatic pacific but then he took numbers on the side he drove heavy machinery he got into the union as yeah. an operating engineer drove bulldozers my uncle went away for hijacking i remember going to sing sing prison visiting room as a kid all the time we used to go visit yeah. him up in austin in new york then we'd visit him in off the kill wherever he was we went to visit him and yeah. uh, so I grew up in prison visiting rooms and then ended up in one my, myself. But my father's family, hardworking Italians, all they wanted to do, they would never break the law, would never even cross their mind to break the law. Sure. And most Italians, I wrote in the, uh, in the author's note, which I won't read the entirety of it, but I did say that uh, Italy has been called mother of the arts, mother of the opera, mother of high culture, mother of the Renaissance, mother and mother of the church. Her achievements are known the world over, and she has borne the most brilliant children. I go on to mention Dante, Petrarch, Boccaccio, Michelangelo, Donatello, Bernini, Volta, Pavarotti, Bocelli, Marconi, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. You should be careful, however, I wrote, to judge any fruitful mother by the character of her many children as noted above, not her errant child. Nevertheless, even a wayward son is worthy of a proper evaluation, perhaps more so. Let us not, however, confuse the good with the bad. And I go on to introduce yeah. Mother of the Mafia. 
which Italy was as well. And it's a very small percentage of the Italian people. I want to um, I want to take a couple of quotes here from you. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the first is um, something that I've thought about for a long time. And I was glad to see that that you and uh, and a few other people have um, attend this put pen to paper. The mafia is the longest running corporation in history. Mm. It thrives along with other companies during prosperous times Mm -hmm. and flourishes even more in periods of economic decline. Mm -hmm. Bear or bull makes no difference to the mafia. I want to talk about that. Mm. Why is it that a guy would rather beat you for 20 bucks streetwise than work for a thousand legit? What is it about? It's I call it the Jimmy Burke complex. Mm-hmm. If you remember, if mm-hmm. you remember Goodfellas, mm-hmm. all right, mm-hmm. Jimmy Burke was a fucking petty criminal. Mm-hmm. He was a petty guy that had one day woke up with a set of balls and said, "Okay, we're going to hit Lufthansa," mm-hmm. all right, and made the biggest score in in organized crime history. But mm-hmm. Jimmy Burke was this kind of guy that would rather beat you for twenty. Then work for a thousand. Mm-hmm. Explain this to me, this mentality. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it, Lou. Yeah, so I will. It's it's the uh, and I lived through it, so I know and I understand it. There was there was an incredible amount of excitement in my past life that I will never experience again. I will, ne- I, you know, I sit at I sat at a desk for seven years writing this trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I hosted a show for Discovery Channel. Uh, yeah. It's exciting. You know, you do a few episodes. It's exciting when you're in the mix of things. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing that could ever compare to a heist, to a hijacking, where your blood goes, you know, skyrockets. You got, you know, you, your stomach, you know, you, you feel every every last wit of bone and breath in your body is mm-hmm. at its absolute, you know, limit. It's to the, to the, to the you know, final. And everything is on the line. Your life is on the line. You yeah. could die while you're doing it. You might go off a bit. You know, I I thank God I never had to kill anybody, but I could have been killed. And worse, I could have killed somebody. Thank God that never happened. But everything is on the line. The rest of your life in prison could happen. Everything is on the line, and nothing, nothing. Any gambler will tell you who loves the stakes at blackjack, at poker, yeah. at a. Uh, uh, um, Texas Hold'em, et cetera, et cetera. They like that there's big money on the line. That's what gets them going. Imagine if your entire life, everything you've ever done to this moment is on the line. And that's what was on the line for me when I did a heist or a hijacking in relation to, as they say, Jimmy Burke. I went away for heists and hijackings. That was what I was known for. To be completely clear, I ran a a heist and hijacking crew within the Gambino crime family. Right. So that's, I was the guy who you came to if you had a tip. If you came to me, Ange and Michael, and you said, look, the two of us are aware of this guy. And, uh, you know, he's running trucks out of his warehouse. And mm-hmm. Friday is a truckload of this and it's worked that. I was the guy who scoped it out. I figured out who I was going to take and I did it. So or safe, a vault, whatever you gave me. And, you know, we were even charged with arming cars. Yeah. Was nothing we wouldn't do. I was investigated for arming cars, arming car depots, you name it. Um Maybe yet to come out one day. Who knows? But uh, you know, for the for the most part, I will never have that rush again. You know, yeah. my life is sort of like it's like everybody else's. You know, you pay the bills. You know, you got the water bill. You got the electric bill. Uh, yeah. You know that lawlessness is also too a freedom, as bad as it was. And I wouldn't want to go back to that. I would never yeah. want to be that lawless again. I never want to have victims 
that I trample over in my life. So that's something I would never want. But if you isolate the fact that it's lawless and that lawlessness is a freedom that I yeah. would never, I will never experience again. You just don't give it up. But isn't it want. by the same token, Lou, mm -hmm. isn't it kind of a, a, like a, a paradox that you're paranoid. You, you're always looking behind you. You yeah, never know no. where the next, you know, yeah. you don't know where the next bullet's coming from. But that's part of the high, too, Angelo. You know, I mean, the fact that I've heard are, people say that, Lou, that there's yeah. a euphoria about that. There is. Yeah, there is. It's part of the high. You Crazy. know, even, you know, I pull up. I came I pulled up to my house one night and, you know, I, I would always look around. Somebody waiting yeah. behind the bushes. I pulled up to my house one night and a guy lifted himself on the seat and took off. Right. To this day, I wonder if he if he was waiting on me. You know, why is he laying across yeah. the street? He wasn't with a woman. It was a one, it was one guy, as far as I could see. It wasn't like they were yeah. playing games. It was two, you know, a man and a woman. One yeah. man, and then he speeds off at a thousand miles per hour. Uh, you know, what the hell was this? So, you yeah. know, you wonder, but it's part of the game. You know, yeah. uh, I mentioned Vicarina earlier. Vicarina lived through the Colombo War, the Colombo War, which claimed a dozen lives. You know, Vic at that time live through constant excitement it's a it's a state of mind he'll never experience again you uh, know him sure. and I old thoughts we walk on the beach now and we look at seagulls and throw bread at them you know i mean it's like <laughs> right. you, you know i mean it's a total different world yeah but, sure you know but he lived that where his life was on a line a guy like gregory scarpa who's a government paid informant with a license to kill from scarpa's own mouth quote yeah. unquote he's told his son i have a license to kill or he yeah. told a few people mm -hmm. and you know here's scarpa who has the authority, you know, quote unquote, the authority to kill him, his father, his brother, John, and he's got to watch out for him. And he doesn't complain that those days were boring. He complains yeah. that his life now is boring, you know? So that's a that high you're never going to achieve. And I think that's what people get out of watching the movies. I think it's two hours where you could sit on your couch, crack open a can of soda or a beer, break mm -hmm. out the popcorn and just immerse yourself in that world for two hours. Your Ray yeah. Liotta, your Jimmy Burke, your your uh, uh, Jimmy Jimmy Conway, uh, Robert De Niro. You're you're part of that world for two hours. They yeah. all get killed, and then you you know you 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 go to bed, and you're alive still. Mike Murphy, questions for Lou. Um, well, I'm gonna, I've got a couple of questions, but a couple of things I wanted to touch on, Angela. You said. You know what? What take what your is, time, you brother? Know, you why don't. are we so fat? We lost. We lost you there, Murph. Okay. Say, say it um, again, Murph. A uh, couple, couple things I wanted to touch on real quick before I ask my question. As you said, Angela, you said, "Why do uh, why do we like the bad boys?" That kind of thing. Well, like uh, like Lou said, you look at these guys in the movies. They're wearing like thousand dollar suits. They're wearing mm -hmm. the gold pinky ring, the chains, the champagne, mm -hmm. the women. Who wouldn't be attracted to that? <laughs> I rest my case. Uh, as uh, far excuse as that's me, so, it's, um, Knights, the Knights <laughs> Templar. It's my family crest. The Knights Templar. Nice. From Malta. Well, as far uh, and as far yeah. as uh, yes. Hmm? Yep, the Isle of Malta, right off of the coast of Italy. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yes, sir. Um, when I was in the organization I was in, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I didn't talk to my brother for like two, three years. And he lives mm -hmm. like 10 minutes away from me. 
Reason mm. being is, you know, we're, you were talking about families that you come from. Believe it or not, I came from a 90% law enforcement family. Mm. Okay. And so my brother, who was in law enforcement, I didn't want what I was doing in case I got pinched one night. I didn't want what I was doing to affect his career, mm-hmm. you know, to affect his mm-hmm. career or his family. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I cut off ties with it. Um, I, well, fun, in a way, a funny story. I knew a guy went to high school with him. And after high school, you know, we lost touch. And I had heard he had done some time. He, he was working. He got into a union and he was doing collecting down in Philly. And uh, I'm not going to, he was uh, working for uh, a very prominent mobster down there doing collecting. And one day we're sitting at the bar and I'm having a couple beers and he's drunk and he's talking off. He ended up doing two years. The other guys got pinched ended up doing more time than him. Mm-hmm. And I looked at this guy and said, look, uh, you need to shut up. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you mean I need to shut up? I mm-hmm. said, you need to shut up because, one, you never know who's listening. I said, two, you did two years. Those guys did ten. I said, you don't think they noticed that, that you got a mm-hmm. shorter bit of time than they did? Mm-hmm. And they're wondering, they're not wondering why? Mm-hmm. I said, if I were you, count your blessings that you got out of it. Mm-hmm. I said, leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as Angelo growing up Italian. I didn't do it. <laughs> Angelo, Angelo, Angelo was only Italian until about three years ago. Because then I said to him, I said, no, no. I dubbed thee. I said, not many partos, a spirit of the now an Irishman. <laughs> Well, you know, it's a very, it's a, it's a very interesting segue to talk about the Irishman because one of the things that I want Lou to do when he comes back with us, and by the way, Lou, are you you're already scheduled to come back. I'd like to, when you when we get off the air, I want to talk to you for a couple of seconds because I'd like to do this is part one. I'd like to do a three parter with you. You've got so much info that I want to. Mm-hmm. I want to get into. I want to, cl- you know, mm-hmm. climb into your head a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is great stuff. Uh, d- during a, a already scheduled show that Mr. Murphy and I are going to do, you would be absolutely ideal for it because mm-hmm. we're going to talk about Jimmy Hoffa mm-hmm. and how John Kennedy was affected by uh, the mob. Mm-hmm. You know, Carlos Marcellus, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Sam Giancana. And mm-hmm. company, mm-hmm. Um, did they have anything to do with it, or were they scapegoats? They had everything to do with it, and I went deep. I, I'm going to tell you, Angel. I'm glad you asked that. So, my the second volume of my trilogy, which will be out the end of this year, mm-hmm. the second volume will be. Uh, they got to give the first volume time, I guess, to get out there. People read it, then they come out with the second volume. But sure. I wrote all three volumes already. The second volume, I go deep very deep into the Kennedy assassination and into Jimmy Hoffa's life. The team stuff. We live for that stuff. Well, let me tell you, it was fascinating, Angelo. So I could see why, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's apparent. It became apparent to me. And before I came close and took that deep dive into this subject, I have to admit, I didn't know much about it. You know, you know what you hear on the street, you know, I I heard a couple of videos where Sammy, the bull pretends he knows what he don't know. what 
We'll we'll talk about Sammy because I got a bone to pick with that son of a yeah. son. <laughs> okay. Yep. Oh, good. So yeah, at one oh, point yeah. I think he said For a video real. where he goes, "I have no idea what happened to him," and then another video he says, "Oh, I I know what happened to him." So he you know he goes as he goes, but I I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I never knew exactly the ins and outs of this. You know, I heard what everybody every layman heard about the assassination, about Hoffa's disappearance, etc. I read hundreds if not thousands of books on the subject. And you could see in the back, my bibliography, in the back of my books, how many books that, and that's just a portion of what I have to list because my the bibliography would be as big as the book if I put them all in there. So if I, you know, yeah, I just absolutely. put the most important books. But I'm going to tell you right now, it was, it was definitely Carlos Marcello was at the hub of the conspiracy, mm -hmm. uh, acting in concert with his friend, David Ferry. I believe that. Also, yeah, who was also instrumental in his case, that's how they met, mm -hmm. and uh, and also too the Cuban exiles uh, were were part of this. I believe that they were uh, obviously Ferry and Bannister uh, used to have an office. So maybe it was Bannister's office where Ferry hung out. Oswald was seen there, and a constant stream of Cuban exiles mm. who were embittered toward Kennedy. And yep. let me tell you, let me let me just preface this with the Cuban immigrant wave to our country. The Cubans have been a tremendous asset to our country in every which way we got. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we got every strata of society. We got school teachers, professors, we got laborers. We got from the, from the, from the left to the right, from the top to the bottom, we got every type of uh, uh, thing you can imagine, every type of person in society. And they've been nothing but, 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 but fruitful in our country. But there were these embittered Cuban exiles who wanted to take Cuba back and when Kennedy effed up the Bay of Pigs and left them stranded there, and Marcelo and Traficante also mm -hmm. thought that Kennedy would act, and he didn't. And then yeah. the missile crisis comes along, and then he, he he again blows it at the missile crisis. The Hawks, the the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the administration, most of them are telling him you got to do something, and Kennedy yeah. decides not to. And Kennedy's not a guy I disliked. I'm not, I'm going to tell you I disliked Bobby. I didn't dislike John. Mm -hmm. I thought John. I thought that John was a happy-go-lucky type guy. He was easy. Uh, Bobby was hated by everyone, and I hated Bobby. Bobby was a fucking hypocrite. I hated him. I hated Bobby. I, you, 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 I got news for you, brother. You and me alike. Yeah. Bobby yeah. Kennedy was, was, was a fucking hypocrite. I'm with you. I'm with you, Ange. Absolutely. Ange, You're talking I'm right about there. a guy whose father was as deep into the mob as you can be. He was a fucking bootlegger, Joe Kennedy, for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. You know, Bobby Kennedy, you know, riding his high damn horse, you know, you know, with the fist in the air, you know, a, a touting justice for all. That's right. Brother, give justice to my fucking people. All right. Yeah, that's right. I, I think there was somebody in the Justice Department at some point who said if Bobby ever did a deep dive into his own family, he'd be done. Absolutely. Bobby Kennedy was a Svachino. <laughs> it was a piece of shit. Why don't we just yeah. call him what it is? Yeah, it yeah. Lou, I got a question for you from my producer. She says, hello, Mr. Ferranti, Angelo and Mike. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Ferranti, what was the hardest thing to adjust back to when you got out of prison from Amelia? She, oh, Amelia, by the way, is uh, mm -hmm. this is Amelia, the Pitbull Chapman. She's our producer. OK, so, so she's, uh, uh, she's in the production room tonight. Yeah. Hi, Amelia. Uh, great question. My. Everything I will say was was difficult to adjust to. I came home from prison after living eight and a half years in in a, in a prison cell. 
Uh, the reason why I got out in eight and a half, by the way, I faced life, copped at 13. The witness against us violated the witness protection program. We didn't know that when we took the pleas. Ah. That's the only reason the pleas were available to us. We took the pleas, me and my co-defendants. Uh, I took an honorable plea. I would not mention anybody in my plea. I said I did it myself, and I won't even mention my co-defendants. I wouldn't take I wouldn't take the plea otherwise. So on that note, uh, I did eight and a half years because once I went away, I reversed one of my cases from prison after I studied history, science, yeah. and law. And I was able, as I mentioned earlier, I was able to help others as well. So I'm in a cell eight and a half years. I'm in the worst prisons that you can imagine. Lewisburg being the absolute worst. Double homicide, horrible. first day. Horrible. Lewisburg, horrible. Pennsylvania is a shithole. Horrible shithole. And uh, so now I come home and I was still, in my mind, in prison in so many different ways. You know, I mean, my, I remember my father came over my apartment once and I'm washing my yeah. clothes in a bucket. And he goes, what are you doing? I mean, this is how I wash my clothes in a bucket. You know, so yeah. I don't Luke, know. Can we talk about that? Can can you, as you're speaking about, you know, that that transition, mm -hmm. the, I think the biggest transition, at least mm -hmm. to, to anybody with a reasonable sensibility, mm -hmm. is the mental trans transition, yes. the emotional transition. How did you transition back into society mentally and emotionally yeah you have to decompress it's a great great question i mean it's so it's so overlooked in this in today's society i mean the rate of recidivism speaks to that but nobody delves deep and asks the questions that you just ask which get to the heart of the rate of recidivism you will go back if you think the same and you know perfect example i finally get my license i'm driving a car guy gets smart with me giving me the finger and everything else Right. You want to get out. You're in, you know, your mind is in jail still. Yeah. You can't accept that. You know, you, you want to straighten this guy out and yeah. you have to remind yourself, no, I'm a citizen and who cares? He doesn't know what I've been through in my life. Who mm -hmm. cares? Who cares? I just wave, you know, blow a kiss and get out yeah. my way. It doesn't matter. You have to, you have to remind yourself that at all times uh, with that, as far as that's concerned, because people are, I live my life that way today. You don't know if yeah. you're going to go, you know, you go into a supermarket. I see people nasty with other people sometimes. You don't know if this man or woman just got back from three tours in Afghanistan where they mm -hmm. saw their best friends murdered in front of them. Give people a little leeway. Give people a little, you know, or, you know, allow them a little, you know, think about that. So I, yeah, I know absolutely. time and again, coming out of the penitentiary, which isn't that different from coming home from Afghanistan in many ways, you right. know, you're seeing constant bloody violence. You're living in this world that's completely different from the world now that you're in and you have to decompress. So little by little, I broke habits. Um, there were things as far as spatial, you know, in my apartment. Uh, uh, I, I, every time I put down the phone, I couldn't find a phone. Well, it makes sense. I hadn't had a phone in my hand in eight and a half years. I don't know what the frick, where the frick yeah. did I put a phone? I don't, you know, you're not used to doing these things. Yeah. But there was constant sure. things like that. Uh, you know, the way I went to bed at night, I'd get a little glass of water and put it next to my bed in case I'm thirsty at night. And one day my cousin goes, what are you, what are you doing? He was at my house late. He goes, what, what are you bringing water in your room for? I go, well, in case I'm thirsty. He goes, you got three faucets in the place. <laughs> you get up and you get a drink. You know, I'm it's, thinking I'm in a cell. The water gets yeah. shut off. We're locked down. I need a glass of water in the middle of the yeah. night. I got it. These are things, you know, little, little things like that. And then there are big things, you know, the, 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 the bigger things. You know, when you go away too, this is very interesting. I could tell when I was away, if I was away with guys and they start talking about my 76 Camaro or, or, 
you say, this guy went away in 76. So he's talking about everything that happened when I went to the bicentennial. The fireworks were great. That's all he <laughs> talks about is everything stopped in 1976. That's when this well, guy went to jail. You know, you, you might have another guy who says yeah. – uh, uh, when the Who was on tour and the Stones, and he's always talking about when the Stones and the Who were on tour, and it was the the British Invasion tour, whatever. And yeah. you say, oh, and this guy went away. You know, son of a bitch, you could tell. So sure. when you go away, your life stops. So I remember when I, I went away when I was 25. I come home, I'm 33. When I was 25, I'm looking at women that are 22, 23. So I come home at 33, and I'm going, oh, my gosh. Do, do, I'm looking at a girl that's 23, and I'm going, what am I doing? She's 10 years younger than me. Yeah. But my mind had to adjust, you know, before I said, I need to look at women who are 33. Yeah. You know, this is, this is where the last women I looked at were 23. Sure. So that's an adjustment. I'm just going through little ones that, that you yeah. catch every day as you move forward in life. And, and those things were Absolutely. like really, really sometimes, you know, I remember my sister was in the car one time and I'm going, slow down, slow down. She goes, slow down. I'm doing 10 miles under the speed limit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like I was in a rocket ship. You know, I've been I've been immobile Funny. for so many years that, you know, on the expressway, I felt like, you know, we're doing a thousand miles per hour. I thought we were at mock speed. I was going to break the speed of sound, you know, like and meanwhile, it was just, you know, we're on a little highway. So yeah. those are little things that you have to adjust to and your mind. You have to always. I made this promise to myself that I tell every convict who comes home from prison. I told myself if I have to live in a cardboard box, I will never commit another crime. I'm not going back to prison. I will never commit another crime. If I have to God bless you, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you, uh, yeah. Lou, we have a, a somebody in our chat room tonight from Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, she's a regular uh, listening, listener to ours. She's from Osaka, Japan. Mm -hmm. Her name is Nettie Slabby. Mm -hmm. uh, how often did they have lockdown, she wants to know? Uh. Depends. It could be quite often. Lockdowns are usually inspired by a couple of different things. One is if there's a fight, there's a lockdown. Uh, when the murders happened in Lewisburg, we were immediately locked down, and that lockdown lasted mm -hmm. a couple of months. They wanted to make sure they had control of the prison before they yeah. allowed us out. And in the interim, uh, these guys dressed as Ninja Turtles came into my cell block, <laughs> and they had machine guns. They probably didn't shoot bullets. I assume they shot bean bags of some sort or gas. Or I don't know what they shot. But they came in, they marched in, and they said, look, uh, there's two homicides, and there could be more. We have authority from Washington to use maximum force. Does anybody know what that means? We're all locked down. And, you know, nobody's going to answer. And they says, well, we'll tell you what it means. It means we could kill any one of you and get away with it. That's what authority to use maximum force means. Sure. Don't get out of line. Uh, but normal lockdowns usually occur. Uh, usually they'll be like what they call a shakedown which you're locked in your cell and they do a shakedown. They're looking in people's cells for something. They might have a tip that there's some type of, uh, uh, some type of drug paraphernalia or drugs that have been smuggled in on a visit. They may maybe they want to search for it. Maybe somebody has got a shank. And when they yeah. do shakedowns, they lock down your, your, your tear block and they usually come up with a big bin of stuff, whether it be knives, whether it be, uh, uh, any type of, uh, contraband, they fill up mm -hmm. a whole, you know, a whole bin of things that they, they, that they come and they take everything yeah. from you. They usually strip you down. You're if you're lucky, you're left in your underwear. Um, so they do do lockdowns, but the lockdowns are usually inspired by an issue 
within the prison, whereas shakedowns yeah. are more regular, and those are miniature lockdowns where you're locked down in the midst of a shakedown, where they're looking to just clean out the place and make sure that they, you know, they have a record of how many times they've come into the prison. In case somebody does get killed, they could say, well, we did six shakedowns in the last two months. And, you know, this place, you know, as far as we were concerned, was clean. This thing must have just happened. You know, something must have just came in. Yeah. Just been made or something. So that yeah. happened. Mike, questions for Lou. Uh, one one thing I wanted to tail off from what Lou said, uh, you know, when you get out, I don't care if I'm going to, you know, you have those, what they say, foxhole prayers, you know, mm -hmm. like the God, like, you know, oh, just get me out of this. I'll never do it again. Mm -hmm. I was always afraid that with the foxhole prayers I had, I was always afraid God was going to send like some leg breaking angel to come down and collect. Okay. <laughs> like, look at me like, Let's review. I'll never drink again. I'll never drink again. Don't, don't let her be pregnant and I'll never drink again. You know, <laughs> but, but the one thing he said, it, it, it's true. When you get out of the lifestyle, be a prisoner, get out of the lifestyle. You have to retrain your mind to yep. a different way of living. Um, yes. See, when I when I first made it into the club, when I first made it into the club, it was like I was given the keys to the chocolate factory. Okay, I could go where I want, do what I wanted, and you know the party never ended. But then also after that, you got to earn. And if you don't earn, then it comes down on you. And so I, I learned that real quick. But when I uh, I mean, for a lot of guys who are in the mob and all, they get the best tables, the, you know, the best cuts yeah. of meat that, you know, mm -hmm. oh my God. okay, fine. Yeah. But, but, but when you get out, you're just another guy on the street now. You don't so have true. that army behind you anymore. You start looking around like, well, what happened? Right. So yeah. true. Well, you, well, you know what? Lou, mind, why don't... Like, I don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why don't you address that, Lou? Because that's a really interesting yeah. point Mike brings up. Yeah, he did. Mike Mike really brought up a, an interesting point that I actually experienced before I went away. I walked into a restaurant. People were falling over themselves to seat me. You know, I mean, it, you know, yeah. they, a lot of times they ripped up the bill. No one wanted, you know, and oh. I'd give the whole thing. The, yeah. I'd give the whole, whatever the bill was, I'd give the whole thing to the waitress. Now I'm on the other side. I'm coming home. And I'm walking into a restaurant. And I can't even get a seat. Nobody knows. No, you know, I'm, I'm away so long. The guys I was away were either dead or in jail. The guys who knew me on the street, you yeah. know, and I'm not, I'm not around them. I had a list of 300 members of the Gambino crime family who I could not associate with, or I would go back to jail. And they said, look, you could be my probation officer, who, by the way, became my dear friend over 20 years now. Yeah. He's my close friend. And he just retired. Great guy. Uh, we became close afterwards. You know, he, he still was my parole, my probation officer at the time. But, uh, you know, I mean, he said if uh, one guy's walking one way and you're walking the other way and we snap a picture, you're going to jail. So what happens is I go to a diner where nobody knew me. I wanted yeah. to stay away from everybody. I'm in a diner where I don't believe any mob guys go. Next thing you know, John's nephew, John's brother, Richie. John had a brother, Richie Gotti. Right. John's nephew, Richie's son was Richie who was, by the way, a gem of a guy. Uh, Richie says, Louie, in the diner. I said, son of a bitch, it's Richie Gotti. I'm going to get violated. You know, I had no idea. I thought I picked the diner no one knew about. 
So Richie comes over, gives me a big bear hug, grabs the check. I got it. He goes, how you been? He goes, you know, he knows I was away. I says, Rich, I'm good. I says, let me ask you a question, Rich. And I was thrilled to see him, but I said, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Are you being watched? He says, yeah, they're outside now in the parking lot. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, so I said, son of a bitch. I said, do me a favor, Rich. I go, do you mind if I go to my probation officer and call him and just tell him I bumped into you by accident? He goes, of course not. They know I'm here. So I says, all right, I'm going to call him tonight and let him know. And I did. And he goes, thanks for telling me. You know, I didn't want to get violated for, for nothing. Yeah, I'm sure. dine. I got to get violated for a grilled cheese and tomato sandwich. Exactly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's craziness. Yeah, um, yeah you know, it, it I, I'll tell you what. I would love to go on all night with this, but we do, I tell you what we have here. Uh, in the chat, Nettie Slabby says, what about a woman that's 43? Ha, ha, ha. She says, uh, yeah, that's young for me now. <laughs> right? Yeah. She says, um, I just joined in. I don't know what he was in for. So uh, very quickly, wrap it up for her as far as uh, what you went in for. Okay. In a nutshell, the FBI wanted to put me away for a long time, the rest of my life if they could. Uh, I was arrested uh, by the Secret Service. Uh, that was one case. I was arrested by the FBI. That was the worst case. It was a Hobbs Act, which is like a RICO indictment. That was yeah. interstate commerce, which had to deal with hijackings. And uh, there was an armored car on that case. Uh, and then there was an, also another armed robbery that I was uh, pinched for in the state that I did not do. A co-defendant of mine in the feds did it. But because I wasn't a snitch, I wasn't about to tell anybody that. Right. So I ended up, um, I got five years for the first case. Uh, the second case I copped out to a total of 13 years. And mm -hmm. then, uh, the third case, they were supposed to run the state case, the third one, which I didn't do concurrent with the federal cases. Uh, and because I reversed one of my cases, uh, after six and a half years, I was sent to the state for another two years. So I did eight and a half years in the end, but I did face life. And I just want to let you, your listeners know how in the feds, if you have, let's say 10 counts and each count holds a statute of 10 years, which they did. So mm -hmm. each, count, each time uh, uh, there's an armed robbery, which a heist or a hijacking is, it's a 10-year statute. So if you have 10, that's 100 years, 10 counts. Then each time a gun, I believe it's the same laws today, but it was then, each time a gun was used in the commission of a crime, it was an additional five years on wow. top of the 10. So there was another 50 with that. So I was facing wow. 150 just with 10 counts on a Hobbs Act. Now, can you get that? If you go to trial and you, if you have the audacity to challenge the government and make a prosecutor pick a jury and tie up a courtroom for two or three months and inconvenience the judge, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. They will give you every second they can. And they did it to friends of mine who came mm -hmm. back from court time and again, where I was in the detention center and literally cried on my shoulder after they were sentenced to 120 years, 130 years, 85 years, 62 years, 98. Yeah. Years. So I saw it happen. Uh, so I did, Duck a life sentence by pleading guilty. All of my co-defendants pleaded with me. Mm -hmm. They got better deals than me, but it was supposed to be a global plea where I had to take it for them to get it. And they asked me to take it and I was happy to take it. They all stood up. They were all men. Uh, so we took it, all of us together. And, uh, and then we learned later on because originally they said 20 years, take it or leave it. And then the pleas came down and we never knew why. We thought that through time, the case is weakened. But we learned after I reversed one of my cases on a technicality, not because I was innocent, but on a technicality, yeah. I came back to court and I learned that the guy had violated the witness protection program and oh. he was thrown out. So they never had a witness against us. But 
Having said that, by the grace of God, I didn't know it because I would have never done the time and I would have never had the opportunity to educate myself and I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Incredible. Wow. I will tell you what, you want to talk about inspiration and pure determination, grit. Lou Ferranti has it in spades, ladies and gentlemen. He's got grit in spades and a hell of an intellect to go with it. You got to be smart to represent yourself. They say a person that represents themselves has a fool for a client. Well, not Lou Ferranti because he got himself off a rap. That's a smart guy can do that. Uh, Lou, I want to ask you to stick around with us uh, for a few minutes while we're going to go off the air. Um, tomorrow night, those of you that are joining us, as you usually do, we gotta, we're going to put an exclamation on the murder of Chris Benoit, the uh, alleged murder-suicide of pro wrestler Chris Benoit. Mr. Murphy and I believe that it was a hit of some sort. We don't know if it was a mob hit. Was, was Chris Benoit into the mafia for money, drugs, or a combination of things? Was it someone he knew that killed him and his family? Uh, and how brutal do you got to be to kill a six-year-old boy? We are going to delve into that and many more questions tomorrow night on wrestling with the future, the Chris Benoit murder case. That's tomorrow. Next week, we will be back with an interesting case. Um, Mr. Murphy and I are going to, uh, to dig a little bit into Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman. Hmm. The Iceman cometh. And he wenteth as well as he cometh. Uh, we're going to talk about you a cold-blooded killer. Brutal, my friends. Brutal. Richard Kuklinski had ice in his veins. Um, uh, an asset to any mob family that hired him, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know, um, Lou, if you've had any experience with the Iceman, but uh, brutal, brutal guy. Worked a lot of... Um, well, he worked for a lot of uh, people that are associated with the world that you used to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I didn't know him, Ange. Uh I didn't I I only know him the same way you guys do. Okay. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about him and of course Lou Ferranti will be back with us for a part 2 and God willing a part 3. I would love to have Lou back again. Um, I'd like to have you on every week if I could. <laughs> this is, we love having you on. Thank you, Ange. Thank you, Ange. I'm Michael. Thank you. Thank and you'll you. listen to us. Thank you, everyone. For Michael Armageddon Murphy. For Louis Ferranti, Big Lou. I am the Mad Dog, Angelo DeCibio. Until I see you next time, ladies and gentlemen, be good to each other. God bless and take care. Bye-bye.